Hi guys, welcome back to another podcast episode. Today I'm sitting down with Associate Professor Matthew Hooper, who is a doctor in Adelaide. He runs an ICU unit in one of Adelaide's largest hospitals. It's a really interesting discussion that we have. We talk about going back to the days when he started in medicine. Um, he didn't actually start off in medicine, but he ended up in medicine. It's a really interesting story. I think that there'll be a lot that you'll learn from the discussion that we have today. Further to that, we talk about living and working abroad. Uh, we talk about moving into state, finding your true love in a hospital. Uh, we also dive into talking about something really interesting that he's done. He's, he's bought a, a beautiful block of land, 100 acres, overlooking an island, the ocean. Um, on the side of a hill, he's built this gorgeous modular house. Now, that's something that I've never done, but he goes through the whole operation with us and tells us what he's learnt from that journey. In addition to that, we also talk about another property that he's bought, which is a commercial property. Now, I've had a, a massive part in that, and him and I sit down and we discuss exactly what happened, whether that project was a success or not. Um, and I think that's it. So let's jump into the show. Well, let's get straight into it. Talking all things medical, all things finance. That sort of procedure would be incredibly stressful. They stop breathing. Good problem. How many people are you impacting the lives of? So today I'm sitting down with Dr. Matthew Hooper. Now, Matt, we've known each other for ages. Um, we're sort of indirectly related through our um, through my wife's family, which has been great. But we've built up a relationship over a number of years, um, and I've watched you as a doctor just go from strength to strength. So it's fantastic to sit down with you today, and finally get some thoughts down on tape. <laughs> Thanks for being part of the show. It's a pleasure, Kim. Um, so I guess let's go back to well. Just to paint the picture for the people that aren't aware of what you do, you're an intensivist. Mm -hmm. You run an ICU ward at a hospital in Adelaide. Mm -hmm. um, you uh, have done a number of things in your career as a doctor. You've been working with helicopters and um, medivac and all that sort of stuff. We're going to touch on that stuff today, which I think everyone will find tremendously interesting. Um, but let's go right back to the start. You studied at Prince Alfred College mm -hmm. in Adelaide. Mm -hmm. And did you go straight into medicine? No, I didn't. No, um, I. It was a late uh, goal, if you like, for me, um, that inadvertently came about doing some work experience. Um, I tried very hard to do sports science at what was the beginnings of SASE in uh, Hindmarsh Sports Science Centre. That was very popular. Left my run a bit late. Didn't get a spot. And a friend of mine's dad was the head of surgery at the Women's and Children's, a guy called Ken Little, um, who was a fabulous mentor. Uh, and who subsequently died of uh, of, uh, of uh, liver cancer and renal failure, unfortunately. But um, he said, look, if you can't get a spot there, come and spend a week with me at the Women's and Kids. And I think I looked at him thinking that that would be the worst possible thing I could imagine to do. Um, but I remember the day I dropped, mum dropped me off and uh, I was nonplussed and the afternoon she picked me up, I realised that's what I wanted to do. Unfortunately, I was failing maths, physics and chemistry. <laughs> Um, and my strengths were sport, sport and English and sport. And so I had to turn things around. And um, when I, I tried very hard, but I missed out by what was back then a percentage point uh, to get in. 
and there were a few options in front of me but at that stage I re repeated a couple of subjects again at a year 13 program and made it into uh, Adelaide Uni the next year. So. so what you're saying is don't give up? Never, no. And rowing taught me that um, before that challenge was in front of me that uh, um, you've got to persevere through adversity because there's that's just the nature of living, you know. Challenges appear and you can either lie down and give up or you keep fighting. So. I love this component because I think that, you know, it, it, it's inspirational for everyone listening that, you know, it hasn't all been given to you on a platter. You, you know, you've had to work mighty hard mm. and you've had a number of setbacks along the way, mm. but um, your tenacity has, um, you know, been an absolute strength to you and got you to the position that you're in today. Um, and you've just built on that and got better and better and better. Um, so did you go to Adelaide University? I did, yeah. And that w I was keen to because I was already rowing and was involved in the Adelaide Uni Boat Club. Um, so Adelaide was my preference for that reason more than anything else. Sounds like you're fitting medicine in around rowing. That was the case until the two no longer were compatible. But uh, And you had to ditch rowing? I did, yeah. Now, I digress here, but this part fascinates me. and. I've been into Prince Alfred College and they've got the beautiful Red Centre mm. there. Mm. It's a tremendous gymnasium with um, swimming pools and um, all those uh, amazing basketball courts and state-of-the-art. Mm. And they've got all of the sporting superstars listed on the walls. Over the years, now they've been running for, what, 130, 140 years? And lo and behold, your name is on the wall. Yeah, I don't know why that was actually. No, honest. but you must be like, <laughs> like there's there's Australian cricketers there, there's yeah, AFL know. footballers. What what was the highest point that you got to with your rowing career? Uh, look, I was in national development squads and institutes of sport uh, until about fourth, third, fourth year of uni, and then it became incompatible. Really, um, I rode a number of Kings Cups uh, for South Australia, and um, and obviously uh, had a good. A career with rowing at school but um, look there are there are princes graduates who have far excelled my level of capability and there are a couple in the current Olympic cycle and Olympic medalists and world champions Alex Hill for those in the rowing uh, arena would know him very well so there are some brilliant uh, ex-princes rowers but it was a great privilege to be recognized what well, so I mean, I guess you made the call whether you're going to be a professional rower or you're going to be... Well, there's no such thing, as it turns out, of course. Um, so you, don't, you certainly don't row for the income. And, yeah. So it was an easy choice. Yeah, no, it wasn't actually. It was incredibly difficult. And and still one I, uh, uh, you know, contemplate regularly about whether there were other ways of, of being able to manage the two. But you, you make... You know, you make the best decisions with what information is in front of you and the situation you're in at the time. So... so Back to med school, third, fourth year, you throw in the towel with rowing, you finish off, then what happens next when you fin finish med school? Um, so I finished med school and did my intern year at the Royal Adelaide um, and developed an interest in emergency medicine around that time. Actually, it was a little bit earlier than that. I, I, I did some research with the trauma service and uh, looking at motor vehicle accidents and, and alcohol-related accidents and things. So I already developed an interest in... And interestingly, ended up on a retrieval uh, um, as an observer in fourth year of uni. So there was um, there was a seed planted there that really carried through for the rest of my career, and, and in many ways, um, uh, you know, influenced my pathway. I think. 
So was it, why did you go down that path? Was it, I mean, I, I imagine this tremendous thrill of being called out, and, you know, jumping in a helicopter, flying to somewhere in the state, landing in the middle of the night, you know, working out what's happened at the scene of an accident or mm. whatever. I mean, was was that it or was it was it a different aspect that attracted you to that aspect of emergency medicine? Um, it, it wasn't purely that element of it because, to be honest, that element of emergency care being the helicopter pre-hospital retrieval work was quite uh, disorganised, disparate. Uh, there was no real solid services, really. That's changed dramatically in the last decade. But um, I was interested in a number of things about emergency medicine, uh, the variety, the variability, the pace, um, the intellectual stimulation, the balance of doing mechanical things with your hands and then a lot of intellectual thinking and problem solving. But also I saw relatively young specialists who had a good work-life balance as well um, and that, that interested me. But in retrospect, the things that attracted me were looking after people who are disadvantaged really in, in many ways. Um, and the, th- the thing I liked early about emergency was the, the all walks of life that you would see, uh, you know, the people from all manner of backgrounds and, and people from privilege and people from, from profound disadvantage. And the emergency, the retrieval stuff that I do now, I think that's my biggest interest is that by definition everybody I meet is disadvantaged because they happen to be where they shouldn't be. You know, they're in a country hospital in Port Lincoln and they're, they're having a bad heart attack and they're in real trouble or they're stuck in a car at Mount Barker or whatever it is, um, they're disadvantaged because someone else has got those injuries or illness, turns up to a hospital like the New Royal Adelaide straight away, they're they're advantaged. And so somehow we've got to bridge that gap. And so the whole service of, that I'm involved in now, MedStar, is really there to help bridge the gap for people who find themselves where they shouldn't be and to try and give them the same outcome as if they turned up straight away to a hospital like the New Royal Adelaide. Wow. Um, okay, so somehow you ended up in London? Yeah, so well, I, I left after my intern year and went to Perth and the drive there was because emergency medicine was developing uh, in a big way, particularly at Fremantle Hospital and they just appointed a new professorial position and they were doing a lot of education and, um, uh, and had a lot of new consultants and, and Perth looked like a bit of a fun place to go so I, I packed up what little possessions I had and... Uh, and went to Perth. I didn't really know very many people, but made some great friends, got re-involved in rowing at a surf boat level with a lot of ex-Kings oh. um, Cup guys and became the Western Australian Uncle Toby's crew. So we would spend every second weekend in East Coast, in Queensland, in Sydney, in Burnie, and all sorts of places and uh, um, and had some success with them. So that was a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, uh, and spent some time in emergency medicine training got more involved and started working towards my first exams for that specialty and met my now wife in the emergency department at Fremantle Hospital, so that was a great win. Now, I've done some research, 60% of doctors marry nurses. I think they're the only people that can put up with us, <laughs> to be honest. It's a staggeringly high statistic. It is. I think it relates to the intensity of the environment you work mm. and then the amount that you work um, and uh, and perhaps a, a commonality of, of why you're there, you know, caring for people so did all of your exams at Fremantle? Uh, no. I uh, did my – for to do any specialty exams, usually there's a first part and then a number of years later a second part. So I did my first part exam there and then uh, Mel and I 
went for a year to southeast Queensland. Um, there's an interesting story as to how that happened, but I, I won't necessarily bore you with that. Um, but it did influence my entire career, and it related to a dog we had. But uh, uh, but no, tell us just, a story, please. You really yeah, want yeah, a story? Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> well, I, so I'd, I'd done my emergency medicine exams. I was lining up to continue the training in Perth, and part of that was you needed you needed to go and do the Royal Perth Intensive Care Year and the Royal Perth ED Year and and a whole lot of other things, and uh, it was starting to look, you know, pretty long and hard, and which is okay. So I'd put in my application, and uh, at the same time we got a new puppy, and Mel was working night shifts. So I was home one day, and um, and she was asleep after a night shift, so I had him with me. So if I put him down, he whimpered and would have woken her up. I went and got the mail, and the first thing I opened was my Royal Perth application that said that I'd forgotten one of my registration numbers, and so I know. Fair enough. So I went into our small office area, shut the door, put the application letter down and I put him down and I was looking through the file for this particular bit of information and I turned around and he was doing a crap on my Royal Perth application. <laughs> and uh, luckily it wasn't sticky or anything, so I sort of rolled it off in the bin and I wrote the number that was needed. And the next thing I opened was this glossy flyer from Nambour in southeast Queensland saying, come and join us as an emergency trainee and, you know, live on the Sunshine Coast and, you know, do our medical retrieval. And and to her credit, when Mel woke up, I said, um, I said, Murray did a shit on my Royal Perth application. She said, oh, it's interesting. And I said, and this arrived. She went, oh. I said, do you think it might be a sign? She said, I think it is. I said, do you think we should go to Nambour? She said, I think we should. This is divine intervention. Well, yeah, Murray, there you go. So... We packed up and we went to Nambour for a year and that was my first exposure to out-of-hospital emergency care in a real way. So the hospital emergency was running the aeromedical retrieval work. Um, so I had a very busy year there. We had a year living on the beach, in, in Sunshine Beach, and um, uh, we had a lot of fun. I'd already lined up a year, an exchange-type program to go to London after that. So we then left Queensland and went to London and... Uh, I started off in emergency at St Mary's in London and then became a paediatric intensive care fellow in the in St Mary's and then that led to doing some paediatric retrieval work by road around London and uh, looking after very sick kids with meningococcal disease. It was their specialist area. So I learned a lot uh, about critically ill kids and at the same time applied for and, and got a role with the uh, London uh, helicopter service or HEMS, which is now London Air Ambulance Service. Can I just stop you for a moment, please? Mm. Were you worried about catching meningococcal? Uh, no, because we saw so much of it, um, and if we felt we'd have a we'd had a really significant exposure, there was an ability to uh, take some prophylactic antibiotics. But it's important to remember that if you went and swabbed a hundred people's noses, you would find the meningococcal bacteria not infrequently in people, but uh, for some reason it becomes pathological at certain times in certain people and their response can vary anything from relatively mild disease to obviously life-ending disease very rapidly. So it's a horrendous disease and immunisation is, is making an impact but, but not entirely because there are different strains of the, of, the disease, of the bacteria as well. Okay, so you move into air retrieval. Yeah, so London was pure trauma service for the City of London, which is up to about 12 million people at any one time. And the helicopter service manages really just the greater London area, so within the M25. 
um, incredible organisation uh, and a life-changing experience for me medically and personally, I think. So um, I saw a system could affect an outcome uh, simply because of how it was structured and designed, you know. So it wasn't about the individual skill. Um, it was a complex machine that, when it worked, um, achieved outcomes for people that the textbooks never talked about, you know. So trauma, you know, people who are whose hearts have stopped from trauma, as a good example, uh, universally, my teaching was they all died, you know. There was no surviving when this had happened. And yet I regularly saw people who defied the textbooks. And it was simply because uh, we were able to get to them so fast with such a high level of care and do such invasive potentially intervention that um, reversed uh, what was happening for them very quickly and they could achieve an outcome you know, and live. So it was a great service and I learned a lot about human factors at the time. They were also way ahead of the game in terms of what made teams work in high acuity, high consequence environments. Uh, how you literally drop from the sky and put a team together of people you've never met before to to achieve an outcome for something or someone. So it was great. Now you've told me one story where you landed a helicopter on, was it London, Br London Bridge? Possibly, yeah. Can you remember that story? No. Uh, yeah, was it a French tourist that they would look the wrong way? I think so. Yeah. I think that, you know, you told me that you'd had an amazing time in London. This was after you, you know, pretty soon after you got back and you said, you'll never believe it, but we landed a chopper a on a bridge. bridge yeah. They shut the bridge down. We yes. worked on the patient. Yeah. So it was a French tourist who was looking the, what, the wrong do. way. What they do? So they're common. They all get off the yeah. Eurostar, look the wrong way and step in front of a bus. That was a common... There were commonalities, you know, people falling off or jumping off platforms in the underground. It was a daily occurrence. That, that, but that was suicide? Uh, mostly, not okay. always. Yeah, okay, sometimes. Mostly. Um, people falling from buildings. A lot of violent crime, knife crime, gun crime, motor vehicle accidents, motorcycle accidents cycling accidents, um, pedestrians, so drownings. Um, but incredible service that uh, if you want to know more about them, uh, there's a lot of good social media and a good website. Um, they're a charitable organisation in part as well as um, being involved with the NHS and they do incredible work that has influenced that type of work around the world, mostly because a lot of us that worked there have sort of spread out and taken some of the concepts and expanded on them and and made them relevant to our areas of work like Australia. So. so if we fast forward today and now you are running ICU unit um, with um, a number of patients, all high need, um, how do you deal with the pressure of all of that? I think, uh, I think you develop a cumulative uh, reserve, if you like, that's not... Um, bottomless by any means, but you develop strategies to manage yourself in the environment because at the end of the day, managing acute or highly unstable situations involves managing yourself, first and foremost, managing the environment if you can, uh, and then managing the patient and then managing the people around you. So you develop ways of managing those four elements of any high stress situation. Um, but also I think you, for me, it was always about the patient anyway, really. And, uh, it's amazing how de-stressing it can be to just be human with a person who's in distress, you know, and, and to not actually 
keep yourself separate from them, but to mm. acknowledge their fear or anxiety or pain or whatever it might be uh, in a human sense actually can, I find, gives me a lot of energy these days, a lot of re- returns a lot. Because you do, you can run short on, on that sort of level of energy to keep going. Um, I think rowing taught me an incredible amount about resilience and managing uh, stress um, and teams and pain and, you know, the things and how you can actually extract more from yourself when you think there's nothing left. And, uh, you know, those, and I have days occasionally where I might have been up all night and, uh, and I'm now into the day and that's just, you know, there, there are no necessarily ways of getting cover or someone to take over or I just need to dig a little bit deeper and, uh, and get through that period of time. So I think, I think there's a resilience there you build up over years. Now, let's talk property. Um, you've done something that I've been, uh, I mean, awe of about um, you built a, a house on an amazing property um, a couple of hours south of Adelaide. Mm. But I'll just describe this for people. You've bought, is it roughly 100 acres? It is. Yeah. 100 acres at a little town called Cape Jervis, which... Um, is a sort of on a peninsula south of Adelaide. It juts out. It's on the side of a hill with natural scrubland, and it um, it rolls down from sort of quite a high hilltop down to the water's edge, and you overlook the wa- the o- ocean obviously. But further in the distance is Kangaroo Island, which is a beautiful island, beautiful coastal dro- mm. um, island backdrop to have to the, um, the the property that you've got down there. Um, I take it there was a house there when we originally bought it, which is no longer there. Um, And now you have more or less built a, well, it's a bit more than a kit home. Can you please describe it to us? Yeah. So when we thought about what to do down there, there were a couple of things that influenced us. Um, This being Mel, uh, who, and my kids, who obviously um, uh, my eldest is 14 and my youngest now 10 which are really the drivers for getting a place like that in the first place, having a, a place of, of um, peace and na- nature and raw beauty and so on. Um, and I should say that my family are the other main reason, if not the main reason, that I have resilience in the workplace, that I can go home and I have incredibly, I'm looked after and incredibly supportive environments. So. But to come back to that, uh, that's our space to have time together as, as a family. So when we thought about what to put down there, it had a couple of uh, uh, key elements to it. One is it needed to be kind of family orientated, needed to be low level care, really, because we're not going to be living there at least in the short term. Uh, needed to have you know spaces that were um, shared for living, but you know some space for people to come down and stay. And but most importantly, we wanted something that didn't impact too much on the environment because it is a really beautiful natural area with nat- native scrub and, and open paddocks and the ocean and. So we wanted the elements that were uh, iron and some timbers and local stone and so on. So we started with that mindset and went through a bit of a journey, uh, which I think a lot of people probably have, including going to architects that that sort of uh, have that conceptual idea themselves. And that was not for us for a range of reasons. And, and the whole concept of building and having a project uh, ongoing down 200, you know, 100 and something k's from Adelaide, was going to be a challenge from our lifestyle point of view. I'm busy with work. Mel's busy with work and living and life and kids. So, 
as we started to investigate further, the, the opportunity to have a house built in uh, modular form um, and then being brought to site uh, was one thing we looked at. And there are a couple of companies that do this around Australia and we chose Prebuilt in Victoria um, who have done a lot of similar type projects and have put houses across the country, as it turns out, but mostly work in Victoria. Um, and they use those basic elements of iron and stone and wood uh, very nicely, but they build um, undercover and in a very controlled environment in a period of 10 or 12 weeks uh, and then ship and, and put together a house very quickly. So um, that had a lot of attraction for us in terms of not having a project going on through winters and summers and um, having to be down there and meeting people, and but being able to control that project peripherally, if you like, a bit and and uh, and and having it built off-site. Um, by, by chance, as it turned out, uh, we, we wanted a stone element in the house which was going to be part of a wall, but that was going to be a bit heavy to move in terms of trucking that part of the modules over. So in the end, we built a wall on site out of rammed earth. And, um, and so what we've ended up with is a rammed earth wall, which has really brought the natural element and ground of the building, and then three modules of timber, iron, and, uh, and even some stone that have come and been attached to that wall. And, they butt uh, up against it. They do, yeah. And we've ended up with a great result um, uh, that is not touched heavily on the environment. There's no slabs or anything like that. In fact, there's no concrete in the ground at all. No uh, concrete piers? No, not for the house. Um, they're, uh, they're on a mega anchor structure, which is just sort of some galvanised steel that's rammed into the, the earth. We've used local earth and, and stone and things for the rammed earth wall and and um, and some beautiful recycled timbers for the decks and and even a prefabricated cement water tank as a pool uh, that's that's turned up on site as well. So uh, a really interesting journey. And I think if if you look at what our aim was at the beginning, we've really achieved a, um, the most of what we were after. Uh, it's a hell of a result, really, isn't it? It because is. Yeah. Uh, with that rammed earth wall, you've really introduced that earthy, you know, um, rustic feel to the place, haven't you? Mm. And and it's it's solid, it's structural, you know, it's not, it's not going anywhere. No, that's it. And it, I mean, again, with Mel's uh, Western Australian heritage too, the, for those that know, particularly the south areas of Western Australia, rammed earth is a common construction uh, method, um, particularly around Margaret River area and yelling up. So it was very familiar for us, and um, uh, and we've got a really good result with it. There, there have been some challenges about how we went about it. Um, you know, it would have been easier just to have the whole house prefabricated and planted, mm. from an engineering point of view and a whole range of things. But the uh, um, the result we've got uh, architecturally, I think, is fantastic. Um, having the company in Melbourne is a little challenging and, you know, getting a few things sorted after installation has been a little bit challenging. Yeah, if they uh, forget one part, you've got to send a truck over. Yeah, I've had that we've had a, you know, we've had a few, a couple of things that still need to be fixed up that are just uh, dragging a bit because mm. of the, the distance and getting someone over. But I think if you did see it, um, you, you'd you be surprised if someone said this is a, a modular build. So um, would you use them again? For that type of project, yeah, I would. And in fact, we've had... Um, uh, we've got a fantastic landscaper who's been assisting us with some of the decking, who's in, uh, about to embark on a building process himself, who who I think has come to that conclusion that it might have been better to consider a prefabricated 
um, construction method. So. And you haven't had it valued yet, so... No, not since no, not okay. since we bought the. It'll problem. be interesting to see how mm. that goes, but it, it it's really lifestyle. So values are relevant. Yes, you know, I think so. I think uh, except I think you know this is an area that's an hour and fifteen minutes mm. from Adelaide, with increasing infrastructure. You know, in terms of transport in the mm. south, um, I think the Flurio has been under recognised. The Flurio Peninsula in South Australia, in terms of its lifestyle value, uh, but maybe in a world that's increasingly crazy, people will search out for the what we've achieved which is an element of peace and natural beauty and silence and solace and the the fact the ocean abuts to the the, the bush and the paddocks is is what really makes it i think so it's an amazing who knows in terms of the long-term value it was always a long-term project in mm. terms of us spending more time there and so forth and and remains another few years away before we probably finished all the bits and pieces we want to do there it's amazing um, I've, I've seen the photos on Facebook. It looks nothing short of amazing. Can't wait to get down there and yeah, check it out. Yeah, can't wait but, to have you there. Yeah. But it looks, uh, you know, it's a credit to what you've done there. Um, now, can we just turn to the other property which I've had um, a significant amount of input into? Mm, mm. This is a commercial property that uh, was a bit of a team effort between yourself and mine, myself. Um, if we just go back to... I think um, I was on the bench <laughs> in that team, actually. I think, I think you were on the field for the vast majority of it. So if we if we wind the clock back to almost, I think it was this time last year, mm. um, you and I had a number of conversations about properties and you know we, we realised that that was the way that you wanted to go. Mm. Um, you were looking at doing something in state and then you'd sort of sent through some ideas about how that might look and who, who you might use to help you do that sort of transaction because obviously you're based here and mm-hmm. you're going to need someone on the ground over there to, to do it. And then I think it more or less came to the point that something came up in Adelaide that I was really keen on myself but for a number of reasons um, it wasn't going to work for me. And then I, I thought about it and put it to you and then you, um, I think you went there one night and checked it out. We, we went there together and you fell in love with the place and then it was another five or six months of negotiating mm. until we secured that place. Mm. Um, what? So was that experience um, like, did you think that it was a really good outcome? I mean, I'm blowing my own trumpet here, but are you happy with the result that we achieved? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, before we started, and I'll say it again, it was a bit like you know, Mel going out and doing my clothes shopping for me, like it happens occasionally, and she always picks stuff that really fits me well, really nice, becomes favourite bits of clothes. But you but see it at the time. I never would have picked it myself, yes, you know. Yes, yes. And I think it, this was a very similar process. I thought, really, commercial, um, you know, on a main road or, you know, a, a busy road. and uh, But as the journey continued, I saw what your vision was and how, and the value of that, you know, and, and how much of a good deal this has uh, been in terms of what we wanted, which is uh, is a nice balanced portfolio for me for a longer term view, you know, between super and, and assets and property and so on. You've helped me uh, immeasurably in that regard. But this, this was a real surprise, really, uh, in a positive way, um, you know, and you did the heavy lifting all round, really, in yeah. terms of the finding... Uh, identifying, considering options, um, right down to the negotiating and securing, and then and right down to you and I, you're doing a few repairs prior to uh, and after it was tenanted uh, successfully. So and now, as you uh, suggested, 
although I, you know it's hard to see at the time it's now a bit sit, set and forget really mm. um it, it's uh in fact it's almost a bit too successful so you, do, yeah do you drive past it i i i whenever i get an opportunity to i will yeah and uh because it, it looks great and um it was as you well know it was uh very run down and not really presented well and um like that deal was one of those deals um that every way you turned it just got better and better mm. you know like um and now uh, the first thing i think of is we've just got Sorry, we, you. Um, I talk collectively as if it's my property. Yeah. I've got nothing well, to do with that, it. But. I think that's, a, as a, uh, a segue to how, why it was so good, I think you do. I think you you treated that whole process as though it was your own mm. and, uh, mm. and the success, therefore, is, you know, is evident. I did everything as though it was mine, but it was... You know, it, it, was, it was your baby. It was always intended to be it. And you, mm. were, you know, on every step of the way, um, you know, you were part of it. Mm, but but um, like the tenant is just such a great tenant, that's aren't great. they? Like, yeah, I know, know, that's right. That the last thing that you and I were umming and ahhing about and some of the renovations went over budget, but, mm. you know, they just a lot of the time just step in and do stuff for that's us yeah. because they want to be there forever and it suits them so well. And mm. Anyway. It's, no, it's, it's, it's been a real um, uh, benefit. I think in the current market the whole, you know, shift to a commercial-wide concept mm. was a positive one, you know. And then, you know, and this is always the telltale sign, but it's happened so soon that I always think it's like, like fake. Um, you know, w- we paid X for ours and then one down the road sold for almost double what we paid yeah. for. And it was a very similar footprint. In a lot of ways, it was actually worse than ours. Yeah. You know, so yeah. um, I think that that's, a, that that's a, a affirmation that we were always on track. You know, it usually takes longer than that to, to work that out, but, you know, it's almost happened straight away. So yeah. it's been really oh, good. I know, it's great. So... Um, we're sort of in a, an interim phase, and then we'll reassess and um, and sort of make a plan for the next sort of five years or so, and, uh, and uh, that may involve uh, additional properties potentially. Just depends. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew, for spending time with me today. Thanks for taking time out of your really busy schedule to squeeze me in. I've thoroughly enjoyed catching up with you today, and pleasure. I hope that everyone enjoys listening to what we've talked about today. Right. Thanks, pleasure, Kim. <laughs> So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to be bringing you these podcasts on a weekly basis. We hope they're really useful. And if you find them useful, please share them. And if you go to iTunes and give us a review, that'd be awesome. Or put some comments in the show notes. And if you think that you're a person who would like to come on the show as a guest, please reach out to us at themedicalaccountant.co. Send us an email. And we'd love to have you on the show.